podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. It's, uh, I'm joined by Johnny today. It's just the two of us, and uh, we're going to we're going to tackle some exciting things today. Welcome back to the podcast, Johnny. Thank you very much. I'm sure you're going to add in uh, a bit of Bill Withers, just the two of us there in post production. You know, you just oh, absolutely on there like a glove. Yeah, that's what people come to the pod for. It's all the little I know how to <laughs> They love the editing. They love the editing. Uh, so. We're, we're at least we get to talk about a good good things today because I was a bit worried that you know people email me you know oh that that Johnny gives you some shit on the podcast and I was like oh well, at least it's Newcastle certainly can't be that bad <laughs> today but after the first half it wasn't good so um, let's 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 talk about the game first we're definitely going to cover some Mesut Ozil because he's finally out of the building and we can do a bit of chat on the January transfer window. But let's go for it. Like, what give us give us your hot take on um, on the Newcastle game that we've just watched? Um, well, as I was kind of you know just just briefly had a chat just before we jumped on, and you know what I think, basically my perspective, certainly what I was going to say changed dramatically over the last hour, and that is um, in no small part to you know the um, really really strong second half showing that we saw. I thought the first half. Uh, we looked drab, and though we did have um, some chances, it was it's just it was just very predictable. And um, you know, uh, people were going to talk about the well outrageous miss from <laughs> Aubameyang. Like, how did you miss that? Um, and I'm really pleased he, he you know kind of banished those demons with with a really strong second half and those two goals. But um, you know, as I say, I was worried for what we were going to be producing in the second half. And this was also a game that the longer it drags on at nil-nil, playing, you know, Steve Bruce's negative Newcastle football, and you're thinking, are they going to mix something with Big Andy in the last minute? You know, that it, it smacked a bit. But we didn't let it get to that, um, in no small part to our standout players, which are um, Thomas Partey, who looks, well, he looks like he's picked up where he left off at Man United. Looks like a different gravy. Um, yeah. Absolute massive, massive chasm of uh, difference in class compared to him and his next understudy. Like, he is by far our best midfield player in that role. Like, a real, real long distance. And he was excellent. And then, obviously, what, you know, has been a real predominant theme in recent weeks, which is re- reliance on... The kids for our creativity, ESR, exceptional on the on the wing, some lovely little jinking being brave. And Saka looking very smart. He had his hands in most of the uh, positive things we did today. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I just saw everything and I'm like, wow, this is it. Cause there are things that still concern me, but I don't want to just come out and be, you know, straight off negative uh, after that second half showing because, some of it was very, very good to watch, and I was pleased to see it. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in this weird phase where it's, you know, I could start saying, "I told you so," but I am scared. I am deeply scared that you know this little run of games that we're having, some nice results, the emergence of the young kids. Is 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 a bit of a mirage, like kind of like the first four uh, games were of the start of the season. You know, we we started um, our best start in thirty five years, and then went on to turn that into the worst start of all time. So I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I, I didn't expect a brilliant performance against Newcastle, if I'm honest. But they're they're a game, they're a team, one of those teams that always seems to be on the telly. Like Middlesbrough used to be a little bit like that back in the day. You're like, why are that? Why are you always on Sky? You're rubbish. And um, they, they really lack. Um, they really lack anything special. They're you know semi-solid, and uh, you know I've, I've watched them kind of suck the joy out of quite a few games. 
this season. And I didn't feel that the first half was as terrible as everybody said. You know, maybe there wasn't the cohesion and maybe um, the game was a little bit slow. But, you know, this time last season, uh, Aubameyang is putting in at least two of those three chances, no problem. If David Luiz was wearing a blue shirt of Chelsea, he's not missing that header that he had in the first half. So really, we should have been at least one nil up going into half time, and then you could have said average performance, but at least we're winning. But I think the concern was we've seen we've seen this before. Come out second half, sixty minutes, someone gets sent off, and then we you know we limp out with a draw. But that that didn't happen, and I I was um I was excited by a, a few of the performances, and the the key one is. Is is Thomas Party good? Yes. Yes. Categorically, yes. Completely agree, agree with your point. He's a Rolls Royce, um, you know, in a used in a in a, a used Ford Cortina <laughs> yard. And um and the the other one that I, the, the other player that I just cannot get enough of, like Smith Rowe. I mean, what what a what a talent. Um few people like give him a knock early on and you know he shouldn't be starting like the question really I know why he wasn't starting because he was injured but um whether Arteta's hand was forced or it was part of a grand plan like he he doesn't he's not just a good young player he's like one of the most efficient players that we've got in our front line he's powerful um he defends um and and I think it was in the first half a ball came to him at speed and just the way that he can turn and move um, at such pace. It's something that we've lacked. So feels like he's the real deal. Um, I mean, we are going to find out shortly because our next two games are Southampton United, but a lot of positivity. So um, I'll, I'll, let's let's um, let's go through some of the, the key points of the game. It's always difficult talking about a win in an interesting way, especially against a shit team, but I do think that there are some good stories. Uh, Obama Yang, like you had the, the worst and the best of him. Um, like, what do you make of, like, firstly, his form this season? Do you think what happened in the second half is going to turn things around? Like, how do you feel about Ober? Um, so, uh, I mean, the thing about Obama Yang is, first of all, he's never had a run like this. You know, I, I, I certainly in, you know, the last multiple years of his career, he's never had this much of a drought. But he has had these spells before where he, you know, goes a few games without a goal. And usually one goes in and then he goes in a bit of a straight. So, um, you know, there's, there's a good chance that this could turn into something, uh, a bit of a positive run for him. And I really hope so, you know, because we really need to start seeing more from him. Um, because one of the biggest concerns we've asked in, in recent times is the fact that whether or not we've got um, our tactics right to kind of get the best out of what is clearly our, you know, best striker, certainly, you know, in terms of track records. Um, but this is kind of one of the things that I was frustrating in the first half. Like he had um, chances for sure, and I think you know, um, shout out to Smith Rowe um, for creating a, a great chance for him in the first half as well. With that touch you were talking about, absolute dirtbag touch brings it out, and has the ability and mouth to get his head up and play someone in. But um, you know, I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that this will. You know, these grassroots will lead to long-term success for Aubameyang. I'm not sure, because, I mean, we talked about this so many times, um, about the fact that whilst he is an elite-level finisher, that he seems to be a little bit limited as a footballer in terms of his link-up play. Um, and can, that's, that's his chief reason for disappearing in games, I think, that he's not the best at getting involved in the link-up play. If he's not finishing, at times it's like, what is he actually doing? Um, so, you know, um, in terms of, you know, whether it'll work out with Aubameyang, I'm not sure. However, I do think that, um, it's, it's not the, you know, it's not the only way that we can achieve success. Martinelli coming on was very encouraging at the end there. And I do, I absolutely am chomping at the bit to see Martinelli go through the middle, especially if we're struggling to see goals and stuff. I think he fits in with the other young boys. They've obviously been playing together. Saka and Smith Rowe, and that dynamism is, you know, it, it's kind of um, second nature to uh, Martinelli with his energy and his high, high pace, high pressure um, style of play. So um, I do think there are other options in there, and I'll be pleased if I see Arteta, you know, really starting to throw Martinelli in a lot more now. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we've scored three goals against Newcastle, and we've, as much as 
Um, you know, we could talk about Newcastle being quite poor, even, even you know, a couple of weeks ago when we played them in the Cup, or last week, should say. Um, you know, we, we couldn't score in 90 minutes. And I know we didn't have a full team out. So to get three goals in the second half and really, you know, put a stamp of authority over the game, we are better than you, is nice to see. Um, and at the end of the day, we have to take these shoots of encouragement no matter what. Um, it's just whether or not, you, what you said at the start, whether that's true or not, whether it is a bit of a mirage, and it's kind of we're just kind of we're kind of utilising a hot streak through some of the young players right now, and it's not actually based on you know having the right tactics and style of play to have a a cohesive attacking unit that's going to be you know able to stand up against the big teams and the small teams and and kind of push us on and up the table. See, I, I, kind of, I actually think the the approach that he's got is the, the correct one. It's the, the, the shame of it is that, you know, we're now thinking, well, you're just getting by on young players by accident. Because if he just said at the start of the season, like everybody, this is what's going to happen. I believe in these four or five players. And I think that they're going to be like in, in two years time, you're going to be talking about these players as title contenders. Uh, then he wouldn't be getting this criticism at the moment because I, I actually think that the, the best thing that is happening at the moment is he has no excuse to drop those young players. If if those young yeah. players, yeah. I, I swear, ESR has 15 bad minutes, he's out and, and Arteta's putting in one of the older guys. Like listening to the, you know, if there is uh, any sort of growing frustration I have with Arteta and, and that definitely has been because you start to learn the character of a manager and where they're strong and where they're weak. The weakness of Arteta is deep down he's embarrassed about his decisions, and and you, and you yeah. I, I watch all those press conferences, and he does not like it when they say, "Well, uh, Mikel, do you think the young players have shown up? The senior players?" He's like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not what happens." Yes, Arteta, that is exactly what has happened, and you know it. And he will go on a dialogue about um, the greatness of David Luiz and, you know, what a brilliant professional is. When he's asked about Smith Rowe, it's like, well, we'll see. You know, who knows? Who knows? He could he could get run over by a bus tomorrow. Fuck off. You know, like that, that sort of weird mentality. And that's what that's what worries me. The, these, the, the kids are going to have a bad game at some point. But Smith Rowe should be allowed to have five bad games and we should still continue playing yeah. it. Because you know what? There's a ceiling there. And, and that's the interesting thing with Martinelli as well. And I wanted to uh, pull you up on that point. Um, you said that you wanted to see uh, Martinelli through the middle. So I think we're all kind of resigned to the fact that Aubameyang is he's not the middle guy, right? Because you need someone to leave from the front. Um, having watched uh, Lacazette play pretty well over the last two months, what do you see? Is there a system where you still include Lacazette or do you change the style? Because Lacazette's dropping deep. He's kind of playing that sort of false nine, like weird number 10 kind of role. He, he's been quite important to the resurgence. Like, does that matter? Um, so just to come back on one of those points, um, it, you know, so I'm not necessarily saying, oh, Aubameyang through the middle in our current setup, but you can play, you know, we can't be beholden to this kind of formation because it's shown it's not, you know, an evergreen formation where we're constantly getting positive results. So can, can we play with two up top? And ha- and do you suddenly get more from Aubameyang if he's playing with another strike partner? He's got that energy and he's taking men away from him because what Aubameyang, when Aubameyang really goes missing is when he's getting kind of man-marked by decent defenders and they're just not going to let him go. And he, he just doesn't, he doesn't dribble past anyone. He often runs down kind of, you know, alleyways in terms of um, when he does pick up the ball. If you've got um, that energy from Martinelli next to him, whatever, I think you may find uh, a residual benefit, um, a, a reciprocal benefit with um, Yang, um where, you know, Martinelli is the legs and Aubameyang's maybe, if they're both clinical finishes, but Aubameyang gets a bit more space and time. Um does that mean that Lacazette can't play? Obviously, if those two are playing, then Lacazette wouldn't necessarily play in that. But if Aubameyang's not playing well, then could you play Lacazette and Martinelli together? But I think that, you know, if not, we could be looking at a kind of, in terms of our front four, 
having like a free one. Uh, so one kind of uh, uh, as a, a point of the spear, but then having Saka, Smith-Rowe, and having, whether that be Aubameyang on the left with Martinelli up top, or Lacazette being the front man with Martinelli, it just in behind, you know, running with him and then Saka and Smith-Rowe beside him. That way, I think that you've got a cluster of players who are all good in tight areas and want to be able to play with each other. And and ultimately, we would have wit naturally because these players can sink out to the to the um, flanks and whip balls in, but also can play those kind of intricate passes um, in and around the box to break people free, which is what I think in terms of stylistically we've been missing quite a bit because, you know, one of the things that kind of bothered me from, before, you know, when Arteta was on a really bad run was that, and we talked about it, was that nonsense about, oh, we should be doing well because we crossed it loads. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and we've got to have a more diverse, you know, potential strategy. He did not go back to that after he got slapped. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Don't want to hear that anymore. So, but what I mean is, you know, we can't, that can't just be one way of playing. So in that kind of, you know, three, then a one striker, like three behind the one, I think you have the opportunity to whip balls in with our fullback, but also play that intricate play around the box if if there is a deep block that we're facing. So that would be my kind of... um, Potential suggestion for something I'd want to at least see, you know, um, and I, I guess what I'm saying as well, I like, I'm not even trying to come across negative. It's just more, I, because I am completely, I think you've made a great point and that's how I see it. Like, I don't think, I think Arteta almost stumbled across playing some of the kids rather than knowing that it was the right thing to do. And now, you know, how can he drop them? Because they're our best players every week. But, the thing for me is, once you realise they're our best players, do you can he then look at the formation that we're playing and the style of... Because with our build-up play at times is so, so slow. And that's what gets me. It's like, you know, when you see him in the first half where it was Xhaka and it was slow and it was lame and it's back to Louise and holding. And I think that because we've got these players now like Saka and Smith-Rowe that can break really quick and take the ball in, in tight areas and, and beat a man. I mean, that's a nice, a nice little perk again. I know, I know. Right, yeah. um, and, you know, maybe we can get a, a style of play that really gets the best out of it and plays to their strengths because at times, I don't think that the way we're set up always does and it's almost like, you know, trying to just use an individual moments of brilliance to break it and if they don't do that, the setup is not necessarily there to, um, you know, support us and, and, and in a way that we know will create chances anywhere. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's um, it, it it it's really challenging, isn't it? I mean, we should just move on to the topic of the like the next one that I wanted to talk about. Really, it's the the team is always going to be uh, a struggle when you've got slow midfielders, right? It's yeah. uh, granite, granite Xhaka, like again, Arteta steams in with a praise, steams in with a praise. It's embarrassing reading the praise that he gives to Xhaka <laughs> when you compare what he says about anyone else. Uh, but the, you know, you get you get the you get the best and the worst of him in every single game, and the difference always for me is whether the mistakes cost. If the if the big Big mistakes don't cost. Everyone's like, he was absolutely incredible. 90% pass completion rate. He did this, he did that. He made a great tackle. But it's, it's in the in the previous game that we played, like he made some cataclysmic errors during the game that didn't cost goals. So therefore, he had a man-of-the-match performance, which I think is a wrong way of looking at it. But even today, it's like he he does slow play down. And I think the problem before we had Parsi in the side was everybody's like, give it to Jacker, And if you give it to him and he's a little bit behind the play... The, the ball doesn't get released. So it's like the, the priority is, is addressing that, that midfield because I think both goals, if I'm correct, started from Parsi today. The first one was a quick release. Uh, well, sorry, yeah. the first two goals. And then the second one, the second one, Parsi moves forward and he doesn't get the option for a quick release. But it, it, it does go to show you like the, the, the biggest problem of the last five years really for Arsenal outside of signing shit players really was the... Um, the latter years of Wenger and even with Emery, they just ignored power and pace. Like it didn't matter in the Premier League. And we're seeing time and time again, that Arsenal, this system now 
needs young players that are hungry that move with it, right? Definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, you've made some great points there, and I, I completely see it that way. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, what Thomas Party brings, apart from you know excellent performances, is the hope for a post-Yaka world. Um, he, he becomes an irrelevance when he, when Party's playing because Party does everything better than him. Um, I understand why he's played in why he played tonight, even though I wouldn't play Xhaka. But like you know, he has had some reasonable games. The other game against Newcastle, the first time we had to bring him on, and he did inject a bit of life into proceedings. You know, got us kind of going. But that really spoke to the players that were actually starting rather than how good Xhaka is. It's just he just added a bit of urgency, which was sorely, sorely lacking. But if Party is there, then for me, I'd like to see him partnered with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Let's just go yes. in there. Let's yes. get in there. You know, I want, I want the bad boys in there. I want the bad boys in there who are going to run all day and who are going to terrorise people. Maitland-Niles can take the ball into feet. He's not, he's not scared of that. So, you know, why do we need to keep going on with Project Xhaka? It, it's a failed project. You, for me, if you look at it, you know, you're not going to win a league with Granite Xhaka being... You, you know, you're just tempting midfield stalwart, which is not going to happen. So, and I'm not even sure you're going to get top four with it. Could he be a squad player that comes in for a few games? Yeah, he's good enough to play against an odd Newcastle team, whatever. But against the big teams, he always gets found out because his lack of mobility and athleticism. So, yeah, for me, you know, I don't think Xhaka adds enough, even if, you know, if you're in Mikel Arteta's mind and you're sitting there going, he reminds me of me. He's such a good little player. He's not the quickest, but he plays it well. You know, stop trying to fall in love with your own historical career, Mikel. Um, even if you are, you know, bigging up Jacker in that way, you must look at him and go, he doesn't add that much to this team, when, particularly when Thomas Party's playing, that we wouldn't benefit from just having better, more legs in there. You know, and why is El Nenny coming on again? You know, that's another experiment that we have fully seen the results of, you know, get Maitland-Niles out there and let's just see what it's like to have proper, you know, two sets of legs in our midfield and, and actually dominate a team like Newcastle through sheer athleticism, if not the quality that we'll then bring on top of it. Yeah, there's um, there's there's something really vindictive about some of the decisions that get made. And, you know, like Maitland-Niles doesn't get a game for a while. Then he comes he comes in against Crystal Palace and that's not an easy team to play against. And we, we put him at fucking left back. And then he, he doesn't have a great game um, because he's not playing on the right side and he's learning a new position that he's not often played. Uh, and then he, he's, he doesn't he doesn't get a sniff today. He should be uh, he should be standing next to Thomas Partey because Thomas Partey is good enough to sort of help him be a better yeah. player. I think Arteta said Thomas Partey makes players around him better. We didn't really make Granite Jacker better today. But I think he can make, you know, <laughs> it was the biggest problem that you get with Maitland-Niles. It's not talent. It's not power. It's not work rate. It's a bit, it's a bit of concentration, right? Sometimes he just makes silly decisions. But, you know, um, Patrick Vieira had Tony Adams and uh, to, to pick him up yep. because he didn't always concentrate when he was younger. So I, 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 I agree. And not just that, but he played, he played with Petit, Pete. So... Um, you know, at the end of the day, when you're playing with Emmanuel Petit, even if you make mistakes, that player is covering you because they're good enough to. And it's reciprocal. So the reason why we dominated at that time, we had two players of that elite level, that if someone had a bad moment, the other guy's backing them up. And we, you know, at the moment, we're just relying on party to be the nut. Sorry to interrupt, I just thought, you know, it, it, it's... No, but I, 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 I agree. It's like, you know, if Mo Elneny gets sold this summer... Where's he going? Switzerland, Turkey, mid-table club in Spain. If Ainsley is up for sale, who was in for him? Uh, Wolves. I know they're not having a good time right now, but that's that's a club that knows a player and knows how to scout and knows how to coach. I just don't understand whether there's like attitude problems, but he's always smiling. Players seem to love him, or is it? You know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk that Deli Ali is uh, getting the cold shoulder because he got caught slagging off uh, long balls in the in the Spurs documentary. There's a little scene where it's like he's complaining about the long balls over the top. And you wonder, do, do you think that if... <laughs> this, is, this is a bit of a stretch here. So Mikel Arteta loves granite 
because Granite plays like Mikel. Ainsley complains about not having legs in the side and needing a little bit of dynamics. Mikel Arteta feels insulted personally that Xhaka was insulted. Is that what is is this is this is this too much of a stretch? Do you think he's insulted that he insulted Xhaka? It's not not so much that. I think you know that that last bit is an extra leap that you don't even need to take. It's more the fact that I think Arteta at this stage, when you look at his perseverance with Xhaka, it can only be, in my opinion, that Xhaka represents what Arteta's vision of football is because he plays similarly to him. So in terms of, you know, not need, oh, you don't need to be fast and stuff because Arteta never was fast uh, and, and the biggest athlete. And it's all about your technique and your range of passing, etc. And so if our Ainsley is insulting that, is insulting Arteta's vision of football rather than, you know, uh, like don't slag off my mate Jacker kind of thing. It's more Jacker represents Arteta's career because that's how he used to play. So if you're, you know, if you're saying, oh, you need legs in there, then you're saying in, in that way, oh, you're probably saying you would need legs in there when I was playing, if that makes sense. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because Arteta's had to build his vision of football around the way he played football and that's the only way that Xhaka can fit into this system because Arteta actually sees his merits because he's actually seen merits in his own game throughout his career. I would hate it if someone was like, you you like Granite Xhaka because you were a shit boring player like him. <laughs> <So Yeah>. Gran- <laughs> I, 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 I don't remember. Um, I, I remember Arteta being slow, but I don't remember being infuriated by him in the same way. I think he was a much better player than Jackery. He wasn't mistake ridden. And we did stay in no. top four. And next to like that he had that quite he had a pretty good partnership with Ramsey for like half a season where we made it into the top four. But Arteta, Arteta didn't make mistakes like Jacker, that's the main thing. But the rest of it, he was slow, decent enough on the ball technique, you know, but could get bullied out of games uh, by athletic teams. Of you know, remember this is that era at Arsenal where we used to get banged up like at big games, you know. I think Arteta's been playing in some of those, you know, six nils and stuff at Chelsea, those kinds of teams. Um, so, yeah, you know, a good dynamic midfield was running through us in those days. And it's sad that, you know, because the thing about it is, is look, look, look at someone like a Mourinho, for instance. Mourinho didn't have that successful playing career to fall back on. So his vision of football can be anything. He can blue sky that shit. You know, Arteta has, you know, and the thing is, if you look at Pep Guardiola, for instance, Pep Guardiola got to the top of football, you know, so even though he was quite slow, he was playing for Barcelona. He did win the Champions League. Arteta hit his limit. He never even hit international football. So, you know, at that stage, his vision of football has to be framed by his own lived experience. You know, how many, even Frank Lampard, you can see the way that Frank Lampard used to play in the players that he picks and the style of play. Look at Mason Mount getting loads of love from Frank Lampard. Seems like a very similar player to Frank Lampard. It's like when you fucking play FIFA and make yourself and stick yourself in there. Like you're trying to put your own vision of how you see it because that's your experience, and we're simple like that, humans. So, um, you know, I, I, it's a shame, but all, all I'm saying is, is if he did have that vision of football and how he thinks Arsenal were going to play, I hope that, you know, these uh, the, the, the patent facts in front of him uh, in terms of the evidence from games, you know, is changing his perception of what Arsenal are and what they should be. Um, because, you know... Ultimately, Granite Jacker ain't it. No, and my my hope is that, like it was at the start of last summer, that that they will make moves when it comes to the new year. And if he if he pumps Jacker for the rest of the season, you know, maybe that he'll get a, a move elsewhere. But like, I I don't understand how Wenger died on the Jacker Hill. Emery died on the Jagger Hill. I mean, Freddie wasn't there for long enough, and it looks like Arteta's doing the same. And I just, I just don't see what they're seeing that that we don't like. What, what's which? There must be a spreadsheet out there that says this is where the magic's at, but the the fans they don't they don't get it because 
I'm I'm completely missing it, and I, and I actually think the fans have got pretty good taste in in players. Generally, we generally know whether someone's going to be good or bad quite soon, and everybody's been pretty categorical about Jacker for years. He didn't get the same sort of Özil fandom, really. You know, there were a few people that like if you don't get Jacker, but I think we've got to move on from that experiment in the summer, and hopefully Thomas Partey will prove out the the value of of great midfielders, and hopefully he's playing with like Basuma of Brighton next season or someone of that ilk, because that would be exciting. You know, I don't mind being linked to players like that. So moving, moving out of, um, moving out of the, the midfield territory, I, I just wanted to to touch on the defence because we've gone from, you know, we've gone from being very solid defensively to very bad defensively. And this time the good defending seems to be, with the balance of being not bad in attack, like what what have you made of the of the clean sheets? Um, you know, do we do we feel that this is real, or you know, like is it luck? I mean, what, what what's your view of the defense so far? Because there's been a, a match, a mix of players, right? Um, I think that you know, <clears throat> uh, the defense ultimately is still Arteta's biggest um, kind of badge of honor. Really, you know, when you think about how forlorn we looked um you know uh, in, in Emery's dying days you know we genuinely looked like we were defending like a bad Hackney Marshes team it was yeah. atrocious you know um and he has got us more organized absolutely and it does help as well when you've got characters in the team like Kieran Tierney who looks like a solid gold player full stop captain material Bob Holding's done very very well uh, this year and looks like he's absolutely meant to be there um, you know, and even Cedric performed well today. But you know, to to offer the other side as well, you know, you um, can talk about like obviously what we've not done is make horrendous errors, which you know is not a gimme with, with, when we're talking about Arsenal. But you also have to look at the level of opposition that we're facing. You know, we're not we're not facing Lionel Messi over the last you know three weeks. You know, Zaha at Palace is a, is an elite player, but. That's about it. And quite frankly, without having that much to worry about, we've kind of remained solid, but largely not given away any goals. Um, so, you know, I am I am pleased with the way that we're playing. And obviously, in the second half, it looks more like what we want Arsenal to be doing, where we're looking solid. They didn't, they didn't look like they could score and we played another 90 minutes out there in Newcastle. But again, that's as you stated earlier, a bit to do with how poor Newcastle are. But also the fact that we managed to get that attacking coherency, particularly in the second half, I thought was, you know, that's striking that balance that we talk about. Um, you know, the other thing as well, and, and, and I just want to jump back on that point a little bit. When you look at some of these young players that are playing, you know, um, when you look at Pepe and the team, Seventy-two million pound. I checked this, by the way, and he's still within the top twenty-two most expensive players of all time. Which means that if you got, you know, a game between the most expensive players of all time, two two teams of eleven, he's playing in that game. <laughs> Ronaldo shows up twice. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, Pepe is there. That that like he's valued now. We sold him. You know, I'm talking about. I don't know if we get 20 million for him. I'm not even. That's not even a hyperbole. I, I don't know? even think you're exaggerating there. I think he doesn't even look like he'd make it in the championship. Yeah, yeah, that, which, it's crazy. But on the same note, now, how much? And I, I'm not for a second that we countenance in the idea of selling these players. But how much would Saka get? You know, 50 million. Emil Smith Rowe after you know a run of. 10 games or whatever. He's looking like a, we ain't going to go for less than 30 million. English player. Looks yeah. like he's going to be knocking on the England, you know. So that money that you're trying to not lose and stuff, if you play these young players, you promise, they'll bust their value anyway. But you can't, you know, play a shit player into form. They're not good enough. So Such know, a good point. Yes. You know, um, and the one other thing you were saying about the defence, well, I will just add before I, I've done favour to you. It's, um, I don't think this guy's, you know, a long-term answer to us. But Cedric, his delivery today was very good. Um, Really, really nice, um, you know, crosses into the box, which (laughs) probably shows what Bellerin's been producing in recent times. But it was refreshing, really. He had had a really nice 
back heel that he did at one point that played in Lacassette. I was like, ooh, that was nice. <laughs> a back heel. Yeah, I, uh, Cedric, Cedric was good. It, it felt like his cross was out to me. I was surprised that that... Didn't you think that the VAR got that wrong? No, I, I would. I think I think a Rizzler paper of the ball was still within the boundaries of the line, and so. And to be honest, the other thing is, you know, it's like if the referee's given the goal, then VAR has to be sure that it's not to overturn it. And I don't see how you could be sure that it wasn't. I, like it didn't look clearly over over the line. So yeah. for me, I think it has to stand. So uh, on the, just on the, the Nicholas Pepe thing um, and why I think it the whole, you know, it's probably why the big reason why Raul probably might have allegedly left because that deal stinks. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think back to some of the attacking players you had over the years and it's like every player's got a thing that they're good at and Nicholas Pepe doesn't. And I, I was uh, listening to Theo Walcott talking about how, you know, the players thought top four was a trophy. Theo Walcott had a thing, right? He, he was fast and he was a good finisher. He was very limited. Like he couldn't, you know, he wasn't very good at being brought into the game. Like he wasn't very good in tight spaces, but he was fast. And if you if you got him one-on-one, you could probably could do two, three times a game because of how fast he was. He could score. And it's like Pepe isn't strong. He doesn't have particularly good balance. He's one-footed. Um, he can't play out wide. And it's like, how did this deal get pushed through? How did everybody sit in a room and say, a, a guy who's had one really good season in France uh, with, with a lot of penalties and free kicks that he scored, how? why are we going to give 72 million for that? It's, the, it's the, the valuations department at Arsenal is so offbeat with everything. And I, I hope that this, this Richard Garlic guy that we've hired is going to say, if, if he, if, if this player is 33 years old and he wants to stay in London, don't give him double his money from Chelsea because no one else is offering him money. Let's just offer him the same, but three years or something. Just uh, the, the Pepe deal is baffling because who's going to take him anywhere now? Like who's going to pick that? Who's going to foot that bill for him? He's probably on 150 grand a week as well. So, uh, so he, that was like William and Pepe there. So, like, obviously, um, you know, I've mentioned before, like, obviously I've worked with Arsenal over the last few years and stuff. And one of the things um, that, you know, if there is any in-the-know stuff, you know, I uh, know from some conversations and stuff that um, certainly one of, one of the current Arsenal players was talking about Pepe and saying that it's a real character issue. It's like he's a nice guy, but he's he's very very mild mannered, very um, j- just not a dominant character. So when you say like there's things that I don't know what he does, um, I you know I actually think there is quite a lot. I think there's a lot of players who have far less ability than Pepe, who have had very strong careers and have big impacts on the game. I don't think it's a physical thing with Pepe. It's a mental thing. He's a right. bottler, you know, and, and, and because he's a bottle job, he can't enact, he can't impose himself onto games. So, you know, some of the goals, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sure they're against, like, you know, Dundalk and teams of, you know, plumbers, quite yeah. frankly, in the Europa League. But the fact is, is if you're curling balls into the, into the top corner from 25 yards with any kind of regularity, then you've obviously got some ability. But why can you do it against those and not do it against, you know, Man United or, or Man City or whatever? It's because ultimately when he comes up against any kind of resistance, he goes into his shell and he's not a strong enough character to continue to impose himself. For me, you know, in terms of who was going to strike a, strike a dead ball better, you look at Martinelli and Pepe. I'll say Martinelli, uh, Pepe would strike a better dead ball than Martinelli would. But yeah. you wouldn't pick Pepe over Martinelli. It's because no. the character that Martinelli has, he refuses to not be the best. So he imposes himself every single game on whoever he's playing against and, quite frankly, puts in performances above his ability, you would say. And it's just completely, conversely... Um, you know, in terms of results uh, with regards to Pepe, you know, he underperformed because 
quite frankly, I think it's a bottle job, and and that and that should be a key part of you know any future signings that we have. Character has to be assessed properly because we've we've signed a lot of bad characters, and it's weird. It's like people aren't doing their research, you know. Send them a questionnaire, Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, did it, I, I, I do wonder that. Did anybody sit in a room with him? Uh, because in 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 normal in a normal working environment, you can be like, look, the the work is good, but fuck me, like that person's not going to get on with anybody. They're really abrasive or whatever. And you know, I I read a Luis Campos of of Lille who signed him originally. He said that he watches the warm-ups because a warm-up tells you a lot about the character of a player. And I know that, you know, there's all these like weird anecdotes that people are like, yeah, I know somebody within 15 seconds whether they're going to be good for my workforce and it's bullshit. But you do you do look at Pepe and you're like, how did anybody meet him and think this was the right person? But at the same time, we are the club where Unai Emery came in with a PowerPoint and mesmerised the room. So you're like there's not a lot of good judges of character within the club that can say, I, I maybe is a bit quiet for this, this group of lads talking of characters. Um, <laughs> I did want to, I did want to close on um, Meza Ozil. You've got a new YouTube channel that everyone should listen to and subscribe. Do you want to tell us about your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's called O to B double O H T O B E. Um, and yeah, it's a place for, uh, yeah, Arsenal discussion. Um, um, you know, I've got, bummed a couple of videos up there and it's, you know, music's kind of like this, you know, where we, you know, chew the fat about different aspects of Arsenal and uh, certainly one of them, uh, I wanted to touch on the fact uh, that obviously Urza was now, at that point, it just been announced by Orny, well done, exclusive again, um, that he was about to head over to um, Benabachi, that deal's done now. Um, and just give a few kind of my overall thoughts of Ozil because, you know, we, we've kind of had a little conversation about it, but it's amazing, isn't it, really, how Ozil can split the fan base in the way that he does. Like, he he is the absolute, he's the biggest enigma I think Arsenal have ever had in during my lifetime. Like, I can't think of a player like this where he's adored so much by some and yet, you know, pilloried by others. Like, it's it, it, it's quite... He is Marmite in a football player, isn't he? Uh, he's got to that stage now anyway. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a very interesting guy to, um, y- you know, um, analyse when it comes to his impact. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I, I was trying to sort of unpick it in a, in a blog that I wrote the other day and I was looking through his statistics and... In his best season ever, I think he had a you know a contribution, whether it be a goal or assist, every 123 minutes. He he leaves on a contribution about every 420 minutes. So he and I I can't work out what the thing was that went wrong. You know, because there are so many there are so many things that went again. Like his position became fairly antiquated. He wasn't a Klopp power and pace guy. He wasn't a Kevin De Bruyne modern possession football. But I, I can't help but think that that World Cup where he hung out with a with a, a brutal dictator and Germany rounded on him. I I just don't think he ever recovered from the rejection of a nation which literally had him as the poster child of immigration, and then. It feels like everything has been leading to Fenerbahce. Like, I don't know whether there's something in the story that's almost like Fenerbahce is is almost the middle finger to Germany in a way. Like, they they have welcomed him. Like, Turkey in general has welcomed him like a, a, a like a like an adopted child or something. So, I don't, I, it's it's really difficult to pinpoint exactly what went wrong. But I just think he fell out of love with football after that World Cup. I don't know what you think. I think I think that's exactly. I was going to say, if you were looking for a point, I think that's the same point as well. It was the World Cup when it really started melting down for him. Um, I don't really look at it the same way in terms of you know. First of all, um, you know, I think there was some criticism labelled uh, lined at Özil, which you know bordered on xenophobia from German quarters in the fact that a lot of um, 
areas of, you know, either the media or the fan base couldn't really accept him because of his Turkish heritage. Now, granted, you know, you talk about the Erdogan stuff, which, you know, he's got a he's got to take responsibility for his own actions with regards to that. It was a poor choice, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned. If you hang out with people like that, then you're going to get criticised. But, you know, I think it was, uh, was it Tony Cruz as well coming out with some really poor comments about him. And this is at a time when, you know, Islamophobia is rife around and rampant around the world. And there were some things where it just seemed like Ozil was getting more criticism than other players for, who were doing less than him for doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we have it in a similar way in um, England when it, with some of our black players, you know, I, it, not necessarily now that we'll focus on, you know, racial inequality, but periodically, historically, I've seen it where some of our black players get a far shorter shrift than the white players in England. You know, but, so, like Alan Shearer could have like nine games without scoring and he's getting picked every week. Whereas Ian Wright was just, oh, Wright didn't score for a game, you're out, mate. Oh, it's all about chemistry. That's why Sharon and Shearer play. You know, some people might not see it. This is how I've seen it. It's not how I've always seen it. And I think that when you are, um, you know, you talk about the poster boy for immigration, but when you are a minority within a country, um, you are always judged to a different standard. And I think that that is why you know, if ever he was lauded after the World Cup win, he felt betrayed by a nation that was like, hold up, you loved me back then. And now, um, you know, I'm dogmate, basically. And that's kind of pushed him even further back into um, wanting to retrace his heritage with Turkey. Again, you know, I think some of it was brought on him by himself. Don't hang out with Erdogan, what you're doing. But ultimately, you know... I don't think that the way he was treated by the German FA and the fan base was spot on at all. You know, I think he was treated harshly and um, I think it's a shame. And it's it's cost us as much as it's cost um, Germany as well. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree with all those points. And I think it it really isn't a simple, he doesn't fancy it sort of story, is it? Because, it, you know, you don't go... From you don't win a World Cup by accident. You don't have that career at Madrid by accident, and then it, it, it went down. And I think there were a lot. There were a lot of reasons that sat behind it. Um, and also, I think it has to. He had the flag that it, the three hundred and fifty grand a week contract was not his fault. But it is staggering that you know even at the time when they offered him that deal, there were questions about him. Right, I don't think anybody in world football would have given him that three hundred and fifty grand a week deal, and it's just it is another example of Arsenal making a decision based on um, emotion, nostalgia, or in this instance, I think it was ego because you know Ramsey wouldn't sign a contract, Sanchez had just left for next to nothing, um, and then we you know we we tied ourselves down, um. I wanted to touch on on another funny, not funny, because I don't think that the Ozil thing is funny. I think it's sad. But he's got probably one of the, like, is it fair to say one of the strongest football cults in football? Like, is this, a, is this has this always happened? Has, um, he's, he's got a, he's got a fan base that support him more than the club. What do you what do you make? What is what is culture now? What is society with this this weird fandom thing? It's not even kids. What do you think? No, so you know, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there with regards to there are some fans that support him more than uh, they support um, the clubs, and you know, I I look at it as like it, it could be people late coming late to the Premier League, and so they don't have the same affiliations. If not from London, you've got no kind of ties to Arsenal. A lot of the time you might pick your club based on who your favourite player is. That's how I work with the NFL, you know what I mean? And I would unapologetically say, I support Mahomes more than I support Kansas City, like that kind of thing, because I just like him, do you know what I mean? Um, but the, the the thing with Ozil is he is one of the biggest, um, uh, the, the biggest um, beneficiaries of that social media kind of era that we live in where he has a direct line to his fan base 
and he plays it very well. I don't mean that in a negative way as well. No, he he has created that brand. I think that was um, kind of really brought to his attention while he was at Madrid, and he was there with Ronaldo as well, who I believe is the, the you know apex of creating a brand for a footballer and people support Ronaldo more than the teams he plays for. Um, so they kind of were fostering it at the same time. He When he came to us, Ozil already had a bigger like social media following than Arsenal did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's mad as well. Um, but then I think that the way Ozil, um, one of him goes with his fan base, but also some of the things that he's done has energised because the thing is, is there's no question that he um, also represents a lot to in terms of his faith um, there are a lot of there's a lot of support from the Muslim community for Ozil uh, for the way he carries himself what he does you know but all the, a lot of the positive things that he does so I do you know get a sense that um, they see Ozil as represent, a, a good representation of them um, and so there's that engagement on that level. And I think that between that, the actor, so, you know, he's got his um, kind of what he represents. He's got uh, instant access to his uh, fan base through social media. And he has a playing style for the people that are interested in football that lends very well to, you know, people who want to see good football. Because when he's on, he is poetry in motion. And we know that. So, you know, and let's face it, for the YouTube community, if you cut up Mr. Erdogan's, you know, greatest clips on YouTube, he looks like the best player ever to live. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's born uh, for the six-second generation, isn't he? Born for the exactly. six-second generation. Exactly. So, um, you know, but we could also cut up a compilation of him not running. <laughs> yeah. And not tackling. <laughs> you know, wouldn't be such a good video. So, uh, but yeah, that's why I think he has generated this, you know, a level of sycophancy um, from his uh, fan base to the point where, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who previously called themselves Arsenal fans who are now Fenerbahce fans uh, over the course of the last five days. But there you go. I think we'll be all right without them. Yeah, it's going to be... I think what's really interesting is what happens when these big cult-like players retire you know, like normally when a player retires, they have to deal with the the lack of relevance and that's hard enough to deal with. I wonder whether these retiring footballers that can sort of command armies on on Twitter, I wonder if that disappears and whether, you know, as a player, you lose the excitement of being on the pitch, but also the excitement of being able to genuinely influence hordes of people. I wonder how valuable that 25 million person audience is when you're 39 and you put on a bit of weight or whatever so um interesting few years but to be honest I, I like seeing uh, first time I've seen him smile in a long time coming out of that plane and uh, on a human level you know he, there's no valor in being benched when you've got talent like Meza Ozil he should be on the pitch he should have done this two years ago just led a, a, a luxurious life in Turkey and and not dealt with the bollocks so good luck to Meza um, yeah, definitely. And then um, one final question before we go. Uh, I know that you've had some opinions on what we should do in the transfer window. Now we're, you know, halfway through January. We haven't done anything apart from shift a few players out. Like, what would you like to see happen um, now until the end of the season? Um, you know, I think there's still players to go. Like, Mustafi shouldn't be around the club. I think he's a, he's a bad bench around the club for my money. Um yeah. Like it, it is a, sh- a sign that poor poor performances, if not are accepted, are actually rewarded. He just shouldn't be there. You know, Jacker shouldn't be playing. We know that as well as we discussed earlier. But you know, it, if we are going to bolster the team, and this is where it comes in as well to the your kind of um, overall outlook on Arteta and whether you think he's the right man. And, I, and I'm I'm not sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's definitely, you know, been some positive signs over the last few weeks. But what I see when I watch, like, the first half, I'm like, we have got a serious, serious rebuild to do. A serious one. Like, it is glaringly obvious now that we're going to have to rip it up and start again, barring a few players. You know what I mean? And that's even now, 
involving our captain, you know, best player on paper, who's been in such poor form. And you're like, realistically, are you going to be here in two years? Are you gonna, do we care? You know, because currently it didn't look like we should be building it around Aubameyang anymore. It needs to be around Saka, around Smith-Rowe, around Martinelli. Party's got five good years ahead of him as well. And Tierney. Uh, Leno, you know, different people have different views on him. I don't think see him as the overriding problem, personally. Um, but there are a number of players that need to go out the door. And then if we are saying that there is a massive rebuild, it's ultimately who is going to do that rebuild. And for me, to the end of the year, Arteta needs to be auditioning, you know, to, to prove that he's still the guy to, that we can trust because... It's such a big job. If we get this wrong this time round, I think we could be, you know, buckle up, Betty. It's 10 years, you know, mid-table, that kind of stuff. A cut run every now and then. We we don't want that. We can't have that anymore. The fans need to really believe. And I can't say that I currently believe that we're going to be challenging for a league in the next couple of years currently. It might happen. Like, you know, we're kind of on the way if we continue. It might not. But... Ultimately, if we're not, then, sorry, I've gone a long way about saying this, but um, if we're not sure that Arteta is the right man long term, then I prefer to patch up the team with loan moves, get the loans in um, and get players out the door because we know he needs to leave anyway. And then if we, you know, see who we can get for six months. No Dennis Suarez, please. <laughs> um, but if we, are, if we are convinced he is, then obviously, you know, if we can bung out a 20 million for a player like this or a player like that. You know, we talked about Brandia. If he's looked at him and thought he genuinely has the creativity because he's got some decent numbers from when he was in the premiership, then absolutely pull the trigger. We do need that creativity. But what I don't want is for a manager to be given our final bits of resources when we've fought so poorly and our set has shown really poor judgment with William, for instance, that we throw our last bit of resources into another busted player. And then if it does end up where we change the manager later down the line, we've got even less routes out of it, you know? So, yeah, basically, if our pet is the right man, give him some money and hopefully gets, you know, we need more creativity in the team. I think that's quite clear. Um, and if not, then just pad it with loans and then we'll see what we can do in the summer. Yeah. Um, uh, um, I'm a fan of Arteta and I think he's going to be proved to be a, a good coach, but I'm, I'm fully, I'm, I'm fully of the padding. Don't, don't do anything stupid right now that feels short term. I don't think you get a good deal. I think even Norwich would be like, yeah, sure. You can have Buendia in January, but it's going to cost you 40 million because we won't be able to replace him in time. So you're, you're going to get stiffed somewhere along the way. And well, um, Get him in there. Like we should be doing player plus cash all the way. Leo yeah. Nelson, he can go. Like if we're going to struggle to get, it's like you know, I keep hearing um, Philip Schofield telling me I can get a good deal and we buy any car. So you know, fuck <laughs> that. We're giving a grand for your car. Get Reece Nelson in there. Get some. You're going to get more for him as part of a deal than trying to sell him. You know, on an open market. So that's the way I think we should probably try and do it. Yeah, I, I I agree, and um, I I think that there'll be better opportunities in the summer. But the biggest thing about getting this rebuild right, this is where Arsene Wenger let us down. I think Sesk, Nasri, like all these brilliant Jack Wilshere, all these brilliant young players, and he never built the right structure around him. I think we've got another core that is equally as exciting: Martinelli, Saka, and as Emil Smith Rowe. Yeah, you got you got to build. It's got to be. Gabriel, the centre back, and it's got to be Thomas Partey like signings that come in, um, yeah. and of a lower age profile. Uh, um, Mana Solomon, the Israeli, not Brazilian, um, twenty one years old, like looks looks like an exciting player. The Scottish kid looks an exciting player. Like we should be playing with like sort of low risk, high reward signings that have been well scouted. So, fingers crossed, it's not Christian Eriksen on the at the end of the month. No, 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 yeah. Great. Well, that was um, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for jumping um, on late. Um, do you just want to plug uh, your 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 podcast, your YouTube, one last time? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, get over to E to B on um, on YouTube, guys. Double O H T O B E. Uh, just putting out different videos, different content. So um, any uh, yeah, kind of likes and subscriptions go down really well. You know, like subscribe and support us. That'll be uh, really well appreciated. And um, my How's Your Father podcast as well, which I've plugged a few times. If you're interested in hearing funny conversations about fatherhood. Check out the How's Your Father podcast. Awesome. Okay. Right. That was great. Um, I look forward to welcoming you back soon, Johnny. And for everybody that's listening, you know what to do. Five-star rating and a nice comment because it's 2021 and it's a new, fresh start for everyone. Ciao for now. I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Sports Social Podcast Network.